All right. <clears throat> if you uh, have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of Mark. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, we are totally fine with you using a digital Bible. So feel free to pull out your phone or a tablet. Uh, if you don't have a Bible on your phone, feel free to uh, go over to that note section down there at the bottom. Uh, it is a, a download link and they can guide you in how to download uh, a Bible to it. Also, there is a Bible tab. You can use that and then the Bible will populate. If you're on your computer, it'll be populated right there uh, on the, the side and you can read along with us. As you turn to the book of Mark, let me ask you a question that uh, I already know the answer to. Have you ever been tempted? If you just said no, you are either a brand new baby or you just lied. Because to be human means to have these desires, these longings. And so when something comes along that looks good, we are tempted. And it's that temptation that causes us to eat too much, to spend too much, to drink too much, to watch things that we probably shouldn't. But yet, we don't often want to give in to these things because to give in to our temptation usually means we either like put on weight or we break the law or we break someone's heart. And so we don't want to do it. So how do you do it? How do you not give in to temptation? Well, today, as we study the book of Mark, we're going to see Jesus be tempted. But we're then going to go over to the book of Matthew, and we're going to see how Jesus made it through that temptation. And I really believe that by us studying how he did it, it will help us. If you are a Jesus follower, it will help you to also avoid and come through temptation. Now, before I pray and we jump into Mark, I, I just want to say this. You need to listen to this message. We, right now, our news feeds, our conversations, our heads, our hearts are full of opinions and information and, and emotion all surrounding the coronavirus. And so right now, because of what this is doing to our world, there are churches that are meeting all over the nation, online, just like us, all around the world, and they're talking about how to turn tragedy into triumph or, or how to, you know, make it through these turbulent times or to turn fear into faith. And those are important messages. And I'm honestly, I'm glad those churches are talking about that. And so I realized that for some of us, it, we may think that for us to stop and like just continue in Mark and talk about temptation, it's going to seem a little tone deaf to the world going on around us. And yet what we're going to see today, it plays right into the days we find ourselves. You need to hear this. When we, when we get to the end of this message, you're going to understand why this is a timely message. And so even though the format is different, you're having to listen on your computer I still hope you will connect to God through the book of Mark and the book of Matthew as we study how Jesus came through temptation because I think it's going to help you during these days. So let's pray. All right, Heavenly Father, uh, we're getting ready to come to the scriptures. I pray that you be our teacher. Would you open it up, enlighten us, uh, help us to see what you have put in there so long ago and what can help us to live in, the, in these days that we find ourselves. So be our teacher now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read Mark chapter 1. Verses 12 and 13. The Spirit immediately drove him, Jesus, out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. 
Uh, two weeks ago when we kicked off this series, I told you that the book of Mark moved at a really rapid pace. And, and already here in chapter 1, we've seen now the word immediately two times. Last week, we saw it when Ed was teaching about the baptism of Jesus, and he was showing us how immediately the heavens were, were uh, broken open and the Spirit descended like a dove when Jesus came up out of the waters. But even though we talked about that last week, I, I want you to think about that moment again. Just put yourself there on the shores of the Jordan River. Imagine Jesus in the waters with John the baptizer, his cousin next to him. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, the heavens part, and, and somehow this dove descends. We don't know if it was like the clouds parted and a, a beam of sunlight suddenly shone down or, or if it was something else. All we know is that this image, like a dove, descends on Jesus and there's this thunder, this voice that says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, I want you to imagine that you're Jesus. You're in the waters. You come up. You see the heavens burst forth. You see the Spirit come down. You hear your Father's voice. Like, I think that would probably be one of the most ultimate pinnacle moments of my life. It, it would be what some people would call like a, a mountaintop experience. I had the joy as a kid of going to a Christian camp almost every single summer. And I would, I would go and we'd have a blast. Uh, my friends and I, we would often win like the competition through the week. Uh, sometimes we'd get in trouble. But oftentimes I, I come away from camp just having, feeling closer to God than ever before. Because every night there'd be chaplain, there'd be these songs and great speakers and this encouragement and we'd be in the scriptures and I would just leave camp on a spiritual high. And yet, you know the problem with the summit? It's the only direction is down. Every year camp would end and then I'd go back and it suddenly it felt like I went from the mountaintop to the valley. That's exactly what we see happen with Jesus. Is he has this mountaintop experience of his baptism. Like the spirit descends upon him. The father says, this is my son who, with whom I'm well pleased. Everyone sees this, they hear this. And then suddenly he's out alone in the wilderness, basically quarantined. And notice, it wasn't by accident. It says that the Spirit immediately drove him there. It wasn't like Jesus came up out of the water and goes, Hey, John, thank you so much. Good to see you again, cousin. We'll catch you later. I'm going to head back. And as he's wandering, all of a sudden realizes, Oh no, I'm lost. This was not an accident. The Spirit drove Jesus to the wilderness. I think too often when we go through really, really difficult times, we think that God has abandoned us. Or maybe he's just too busy with the rest of the world or, and he's just unaware of what we're going through. Or maybe he's just powerless. He, he, he doesn't know how to help us in our situation. And yet here's Jesus, the son of God, being driven by God's spirit out into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. Can you imagine how difficult that would be? And he's just out there with no one, completely alone and isolated, only out there with the wild animals. He goes from the mountaintop to the bottom. But you see, sometimes when you are in your most difficult moments, these are moments that God has actually ordained. He's working in them. That what Satan intends for evil, God actually means for good. And, and, and I believe that God wants to do a great work through you. But before he can do that great work through you, he's going to do a deep work in you. And oftentimes that deep work happens in the wilderness. This was not an accident. God intentionally sent Jesus out there. And what was it that went on for those 40 days? Mark tells us there in verse 13, being tempted by Satan. 
Now, Mark doesn't tell us much more than that. He just says he, he was tempted by Satan, and then he mentions the wild animals and being ministered by angels. Thankfully, Matthew gives us a few more details of what that temptation looked like. So if you would, flip back to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew is just one book prior to Mark. Head over to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Matthew 4, 1 through 10. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So Matthew shows us that there are at least these three temptations that Jesus goes through, and we see him survive all of them. The, the first temptation was a physical temptation, uh, to turn this stone into bread. I, I, I'll, I'll let you know right now, if I had been Jesus and had just fasted 40 days and 40 nights, I probably would have caved right then and there. Like, uh, bread sounds amazing right now. I, I would have caved, but Jesus doesn't. And so Satan goes just a little bit deeper. He, he then begins to tempt Jesus in a very personal nature. Basically questioning, are you really the Son of God? If you are, prove it. You know, we as humans, we have this desire to uh, have worth, to have value, for people to, to see it. And so when someone questions us, you know, if you really can do that, there's a part of us that, that we want to prove it. We, we want to show them. I've shared this story before, but uh, when River, before Riverwood launched publicly, uh, we, we had a family that was kind of investigating, curious, thinking about getting involved, and they, they were starting to help out. And then just a couple months before we launched publicly, they, they pulled back and decided not to be a part. So I, I wanted to find out why. So I got together with the, the husband and immediately he started and I could tell he was doing the old criticism sandwich, you know, where you start with something really, really nice. You say the hard thing and then you say something really nice. So he starts saying the really nice things and then he gets to the heart of it and he says, Aaron, I'll just be blunt. You're not a very good preacher and I, I really don't think you were called to, to start a new church. Now, I am not fooled into thinking that I, I am one of the greatest preachers in the world. I, far, far, far from it. If I was that good, our, our podcast would be downloaded in the tens of thousands every single week. We'd have all sorts of people leaving their churches to come and be a part of Riverwood. But, but the fact that that is not happening it proves to me that, no, I'm really not like the bee's knees of preachers. I mean, heck, even my own mom does not download our podcast and listen to my, my preaching. But even though I know I'm not the prince of preachers, his words still cut deep. They hurt. And here's how bad it was. For probably the next two years, every sermon that I, I worked on, that I delivered, 
I had this mental committee that was critiquing every aspect of it. And do you know who sat at the head of that mental committee? This guy. I mean, th this guy was nowhere around. I can guarantee he wasn't downloading my podcast to continue to critique them. He had no idea. He probably had forgotten that conversation within just a few weeks or months. And yet I continued to be haunted by it because it had been an attack on a personal nature. There was part of me that wanted to say, I'll prove to you. But Jesus doesn't fall for that. When Satan says, hey, if you really are the son of God, prove it by jumping off this temple and the angels will catch you. Because you see, Jesus at his baptism heard the voice of God. He saw the spirit descend down. He knew who he was. So he did not have to prove anything to anyone, especially Satan. So Satan strikes out on the first two. So he heads for probably one of his most powerful tools in his tool bag. And that was the temptation for power. That, now, you and I, maybe you're not hungry for power. At least I'm not. I, it, this is not something I, I, I long for. But, but there are people in our world, I mean, history just shows us, there are people who go on power trips. I mean, they want power more than money, more than, than food, more than relationships. Like they want the, the control. And so for them, this would be a true deep temptation. And what you have to realize is that Jesus, as the son of God, has been God from eternity past, which means he was there when the father and the spirit started everything. It was all of creation, as you just heard through Colossians 1. He created everything. So he understood true power. And true power was going to be restored to him one day. But the way back to the throne was through the cross and death. And so for Satan to offer all of it now was a shortcut. He could totally avoid all that painful stuff if he would just bow down and worship Satan. But Jesus doesn't do it. He doesn't give in. How? How did he do it? How does he not give in to the physical temptation, not give in to the personal temptation, and not give in to the power temptation? Well, we're going to see. But I'm going to first show you what he did not do. What Jesus did not do. The first thing that Jesus did not do to get through it was he did not simply survive because he was God. This is an error that I used to believe. Uh, James 1.13 tells us that God cannot be tempted. So I just assumed that, well, Jesus is the son of God, so clearly he couldn't be tempted. That's why he could walk through these things so easily. But to believe that actually could lead us to heresy. Because you see, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. It's called the hypostatic union. He was 100% God, 100% man. Not 50 God, 50 man, 100% both. Two natures simultaneously existing within one person. And, and so he was fully human. And it wasn't like he was relying more on his godness to help him get through these things. And, you know, but when he's around the, the disciples, around his guys, he leans on his, his, his manliness. No, no, he was fully God, fully human, fully combined. And so these were true temptations. He was hungry. That's why the bread would have been tempting. He was a human who, who wanted to know he has value and worth. That's why the second one would have been tempting. He was someone who had tasted power. He'd love to taste it again. That's why the third one would have been very tempting. And so he did not come through it by just relying on his godness because he was also fully human. The second thing he didn't do was he did not come through this with sheer willpower. He did not come through it with sheer willpower. Willpower never works. It will always run out. Now, some people, they have way more willpower than others, 
But for most of us, when we go after something and we just try to do it through sheer willpower, we will eventually fall. I can tell you how many times I've told myself, I am not putting the third scoop of ice cream into the bowl. And yet, my willpower might last a week, all right, maybe last the day, all right, if we're totally honest, I don't even last 15 seconds. Like, I, I, uh, before I even know it, the third scoop's going in. Like, willpower just will not cut it. Ask anyone who's fought any sort of addiction. It is so difficult. They've got to find these other ways, these other means, because they just, sheer willpower, they will fail. So Jesus did not fight it through sheer willpower. So what did he do? How did he do it? Well, I want you to notice the first thing he does. First thing he does is he used the scripture. Notice every single time that Jesus is tempted, he immediately goes to the scripture. And curious note, he goes, ends up going to the book of Deuteronomy all three times. But you notice when he's tempted with, to turn stone into bread, he immediately says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Goes back to the scriptures. When he's tempted to, um, uh, on the personal nature, he immediately says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test quotes the scripture. When he's tempted on, on the power trip, he says, you shall worship the Lord your God only and serve him. He goes back to the scriptures. It, it's like the scriptures serve as a shield and a sword in his battle. It, it, it's like a shield that if Satan is lobbing these things to him, he can stop them, but also it's like a sword that can just swipe through them and defeat the temptation. I'm right now reading a, the Stormlight Archive series by Brandon Sanderson. I've mentioned this before. Uh, these books are like a thousand pages, super thick. I'm, I'm now into book three. And in these books, there are these swords called shard blades. Uh, the shard blades are very interesting swords in that they are super long, super huge, and gigantic. They look like they'd be super heavy, but instead they're probably as light as about a yardstick. It just takes nothing to wield them. But a shard blade can only be paired with one person at a time. So a person can have a shard blade, but if they let it go, they dismiss it and it disappears. And then they have to summon it back when they go into battle. But there's something else really curious about these shard blades. Is that when they cut, they don't cut like a normal sword. They cut and it says that the eyes of the person that they just hit turns black and they immediately die. It doesn't just cut the body. It's as if these shard blades cut the soul. When Jesus wields the scriptures, he is wielding a shard blade and he is cutting the soul of these temptations. And he's revealing them to actually be empty. Did you realize how empty your temptations are? That, like they whisper all these sweet nothings to you. They, they make you think it's gonna be wonderful and, uh, and awesome. But once you give into it, you, you, now you feel way too full, or maybe you're a little you know, tipsy. You, you, you suddenly realize, I just lost a bunch of sleep because I didn't watch this. And, and you end up paying the price later. And it turns out it was a lie. It was empty. When you quote the scripture in your battle with temptation, you actually reveal it to be empty. You cut out its soul, and then you suddenly find yourself not really longing to, to want to give in to that temptation, and it no longer is really all that tempting. So use the scripture. Let it be your shield. Let it be your shard blade. Let it cut through those and you reveal it as empty. Now you realize that for you to wield the scriptures, it, it means you need to know the scriptures. Like you, you need to, to be able to, to quote it, to, to read it, to, to you know, bring it out. But that's not going to happen overnight. I, I'm sorry. You cannot take your Bible, put it under your pillow and sleep on it each night and suddenly magically know the scriptures. It, it's going to take time. 
And so that's why at Riverwood, we continually encourage you to develop spiritual disciplines, to daily get into the scriptures, even if you're just reading a section or a chapter every day, just begin to learn these stories, to hear these scriptures, and let them meditate in your mind and in your heart. That way, when the temptation comes, you have an arsenal ready to help protect you and to cut those things down and reveal them as empty. So use the scriptures. The second thing that we notice Jesus do is he didn't just rely on the scriptures. He also relied on his union with the Father. He relied on his union with the Father. I'm going to assume you know the word identity. Uh, When I use the word identity, I use it in the the understanding of it's the way a person views themselves. So for instance, if you have an identity of an athlete, you you view yourself as an athlete, it's going to affect what you eat, uh, how you spend your time, what you do in your workouts. Uh, It it just, it, it shapes and informs how you live your life. If you see yourself as funny, then you're going to always be trying to tell jokes. You're, you're going to seek to make people laugh because your identity is that as a funny person, a comic. If your identity is a parent, well, then you're going to want to share, uh, you know, stories about your children. You're going to show everyone pictures on your phone. Like you're going to find time to spend time with the kids because that is your identity. Jesus's identity was tied to his father. And he reveals that in the scriptures that he ends up picking. Notice the very first one when he's tempted to turn the stone into bread. He quotes, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, oftentimes we quote that and we'll say, okay, yeah, we we don't just live by bread, but you know, by by the scriptures. But notice, Jesus is saying, we live by the very words that come from the mouth of God. He's tying himself back to his father. When he is tempted on the personal nature to prove he's the son of God, to throw himself down off the temple, he says, you shall not put the Lord God to your test. He knows, I am God the Son, I am united with my Father. You don't put God to the test, so I will not do this. And then thirdly, when he's tempted with power and just to worship Satan, he says, you shall not, you shall worship the Lord your God only. He immediately goes back to his Father. His identity was wrapped up in his union with the Father. And so because this is who he is, those are not things he does. If you are a Jesus follower, the gospel means you are united to Christ. You are found in him. Over and over and over, the scriptures tell us that we were dead in our sins, living like these spiritual zombies. But when we put our faith into Christ, the old man dies and the new is born. And we come out and we have this union with Christ. Well, when you see that union, it helps empower you to continue to move forward. And you know, that's not what a Christ follower does. I'm not going to do that because of this union, this relationship I have with God. Uh, Many years ago, I read a book, and I wish so much I could remember the book so I could give credit where credit is due, but I remember a story from it. Uh, The story was about a man who went to, uh, had a job, uh, go to work, and there was a very attractive woman who would begin to flirt with him. Now, he was married, but she was incredibly attractive. The flirtatiousness continued to get deeper and deeper. It, It became just outright, and it was obvious. She knew he was married, and she didn't care. And his coworkers they seemed to enjoy it. And they were actually egging him on. Like, man, you got to go get that. And this guy said that one of the ways that helped him to, to survive that, to not give in to the temptation to have an affair, was to realize, I am married. My, unit, my identity is in my union with my wife. And in 1 Corinthians 7, 4 says that a husband's body is not his own. It belongs to his wife. 
So therefore he knew as a husband united to my wife, I can't just go and give my body to whoever because it's not, it's not really my body, it's her body. And that helped protect him in that temptation. Jesus was protected in these temptations because he knew his union was with the Father. And you too can be protected when you realize your union is with Christ. And so if you're a Jesus follower, I encourage you, wield the sword of the scriptures, but also rely on your unity with Christ. When you put your life into Jesus, he fills you with his Holy Spirit, and that spirit can give you the strength. And now you're not relying on your sheer willpower. You are relying on the strength of of God, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. And so you rely on it. Wield the scriptures and rely on your union in Christ. Now, in the beginning of this message, I said that this was a very timely message. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, okay, Aaron, this was good, this was helpful. I, I, I have an idea of, of how to combat against temptation. But what does this have to do with the coronavirus? Well, right now, our government, in trying to protect us, is asking most of us to stay in place. Uh, in California, they're actually doing full sheltering in place. Who knows that that'll ever come to us here in Iowa? But it means that a lot of us are going to find ourselves with a lot of time in our homes. And what that will do for many of us is it will either produce a lot of boredom or it's going to produce a lot of frustration. And as I know myself, and as I have heard from others who've been willing to open up to me, the times we are most prone to temptation is when we are bored or when we are frustrated. See, when you're bored, you want something to kind of break the boredom. You want something to excite you. And along will come temptation. And it will try to get you to, to watch another episode, to, to eat another thing, to drink something, to do something that is not going to help you become the person that God calls you to be and that you want to be. It's like this little God saying, I'll save you, I'll rescue you out of your boredom. Or when you're stressed, when you're frustrated, you, you find yourself just with this internal pain and you want to escape. You want something to alleviate it. You want out of it. And so along will come temptation and it's going to whisper these things like, I can help, I can alleviate this pain. And we give in to the temptation. So the fact that you know that you have this potential for temptation over these next several days and even weeks, you can put together a game plan. You can be mentally and spiritually prepared for what to do when temptation comes your way. You can go and you can lean on the scriptures and you can rely on your union with Christ. So if you're a Jesus follower, get into the word during these days. Don't just binge watch Netflix, maybe binge read some Bible. And when you pray, don't just pray for the the things that we need to be praying for, by the way, for our leaders, for our, our world, but also pray for God to remind you of your union with him so that when temptation comes, you can say, yeah, yeah, a Jesus follower doesn't do that. But I'm also going to encourage you to do one other thing. Get into a growth group. Let let us together as the Riverwood family just help each other. Because what we do in our growth groups is we read the scriptures, and so we'll wield that, and then we remind each other of our union in Christ. We, We remind each other of the gospel. So get involved in one. It's time to, to, to get there. We no longer have the excuse of, I'm too busy. Because right now our government is forcing us to slow down. And now we have the time. Let us come alongside each other and help each other to truly find Jesus and follow him. Because temptation's a big thing. It will keep you from being the person that you want to be and who God calls you to be. So let's put together this game plan. Let's wield the scriptures and let's also 
rely on our unity with Christ. Now, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to say thank you so much for joining us. I'm really, really glad that, that you're here. But I do not want you to mistake what I just taught, because that is for Jesus' followers. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I do not want you to think that you can just go and take the scriptures and read it, and it will be kind of like some sort of magic shield that will appear and, and help you not drink another. I, I don't want you to think that if you just say some magic words in prayer, that suddenly you, you'll be able to you know, hit the power switch on the TV. I, I want you to realize that the, the only way those things really work is if your life is in Christ. You see, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left his throne in heaven to come down to earth to live a full human experience. But he went and died on the cross in our place. You see, Jesus was the only one who could do this. As a full human, he could pay the penalty for humanity, but also as God, he was the one who could come through it. And he died on that cross, but three days later, he rose again from the dead. He brought himself back to life so that we could follow a risen Savior. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I encourage you, make today your spiritual birthday. Give your life to him. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to just create a little bit of space for you to pray. And as we pray, I'm, I want you to just kind of express in prayer, God, I confess my sin to you. And so Jesus, because you died for my sin, I'm now going to give my life to follow you. So let's pray, and then I'm going to pray for all of us in general. Heavenly Father, right now, I just ask that you would hear the prayers of your people as they sit in their, their living rooms, in their kitchens, as wherever they are, as they talk to you, would you hear their prayer? I pray right now specifically for the person who is giving their life to you, that in the midst of this fearful time, in this pandemic, they're giving their life to follow Jesus because they realize there's something more important than just their physical health. It's their spiritual life. So Father, hear them right now as they pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray for all of us in general. For, for those that know you, you would help us to get into the word, to get into the scriptures, so that when temptation comes our way, we, we can rely on, on the words that you have already written, and, and we can wield them like a sword and a shield to protect us and to slay these things so that we can become the people you want us to be, that we would look more and more like Jesus, to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And Jesus, help us to rely on you you, you give us your spirit, so help us to live in the power of that spirit, to live a resurrected life, to not go out and live the, the desires of the flesh, but to truly walk in the spirit. Would you help us to rely on our union with you? And God, would you do these things in us? Because I know that this is what's going to help make us the biggest blessing to our world we can be, and it's going to help us find the joy that each of us desires and longs for. So Father, protect us during these days from the temptation that's going to come our way. Help us to follow you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.